So, yeah, I, I was telling you how, like, babies' arms have a mind of their own. I think they literally yeah. do have a mind of their own. Like, their brain is not interconnected enough Probably. to, like, link up uh, arms and, like, brain uh, and, like, face and the rest of yeah, of no motor skills. everything else. Yeah. Uh, so they just use their arms to whack at themselves, to scratch themselves, to poke their <laughs> eyes out, uh, to wake themselves up from sleep. Um, oh, cool. Like they'll yeah. they'll startle awake and then they'll smack themselves in the face and then they'll be awake and then they're gonna cry. Uh, they'll actively rip the bottle out of their their mouth and then wonder where it is. And it's like just gotta get that hand. Just hand coordination. <laughs> yeah, just any, or just put them in a straight jacket. I'm sure they'd love that too. So uh, you, you say that ironically. Uh, that is basically what you do with babies. You you wrap them up uh, so they're nice and snug, so they can actually get through sleep. Uh, otherwise, they will actively like uh, kill themselves. A little um, baby burrito. Yeah, you make a little baby burrito. There's a very specific uh, way of making sure it's tight, okay. so their little squirmy arms don't. <laughs> Crawl out like this, uh, and then cause cause chaos. Uh, usually, ripping the pacifier out of their mouth, and then they're like, "Where's the pacifier? I was eating that." Um, and, and yeah, it's all your fault. That's uh, uh, what I've I've learned as a newly minted parent is uh, babies just don't know how to use their arms, uh, and they don't even know they have arms, and their arms don't even know they have a body, uh, and they're just doing their thing. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it needs some time, apparently a few years for it to all like interconnect, uh, which is absolutely hilarious and also uh, sleep depriving. Uh, yes, no doubt. Oh, I have the other cat here trying to come in. So babies and cats are also the same thing. They they meow. Um, yeah. they, they are just as dumb. I th- I'd say the cats are smarter at the moment. But not for long. That's probably fair, yes. Uh, good stuff. Anyways, we should probably have a show about tech stuff. Alright. Hello and welcome once again to episode 133 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So, as always, we have a new batch of Swift Evolution updates to share with everyone. Uh, And today is actually one we've talked about in the past, but it's coming back into review uh, because when it was accepted, uh, Swift Pipe 0.8 was like already set to release and it wouldn't have made it in. Uh, So this has kind of been part of the preview Swift Swift, uh, work. What are those called? Uh, there's like a special term for the Swift compiler that's uh, not part of Xcode. Uh, but this is part of the preview uh, version of that um, currently. Um, and as they were using it, they identified a few like areas where this could go, uh, I don't want to say catastrophically wrong, but it can use some improvements. Um, so that's what they did. Um, uh, I can't describe the whole why before talking about the what, and the what is the 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 proposal for borrowing and consuming uh, parameter ownership modifiers. So this is uh, marking variables, specifically uh, function parameters, as uh, borrowing or consuming, um, and this basically makes it much more clear that 
what happens when this happens on a non-copyable type? What happens when it happens on a copyable type? Uh, and how you can explicitly say, hey, I want to copy this thing. So you say copy, uh, and then you say what you want to copy. So this prevents accidental copies by making sure it's very explicit uh, whenever you are using these modifiers um, to prevent yourself from like thinking you're doing the right thing and then not actually doing the right thing, which is kind mm -hmm. of like an anti-pattern in and of itself. Yeah. There was a lot that I didn't really understand about this, but it sort of seems like, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, I'm kind of asking a question, I suppose. It's like, it's more like you're helping Ark by saying that you will take ownership of this object or uh, you're just borrowing something uh, and whoever is whoever you're borrowing it from is still sort of the owner of this thing as, as far as reference counting goes. Is that kind of right? Or is this, I, not... I think you're, you're making a, a wrong assumption in that this is specifically for arc when I don't think it is at all. Uh, oh, so this okay. has nothing to do with reference counting. Uh, this has to do with uh, basically memory that is in the stack um, where if a function basically is calling another function that, your structs, for instance, that stays mm -hmm. in the stack. It's actually there. Yeah. Um, but if you pass it to another function, that function now has a copy of your struct, and it's actually uh -huh. going to copy it on the on the stack, so that way you can make a modification to it. Um, that is a horrible idea when you have big pieces of data. Sure. Um, namely, when it's not even on uh, the stack, but maybe it's being referenced by a reference type like a class, but we're still dealing with these uh these structs uh that are that have copy semantics rather than reference semantics um and this explicitly makes those copy semantics uh non like not copy semantics basically uh you are basically saying hey i want to reference that same piece of memory uh that the other oh. person was using the other function was using um and i either a want to allow someone else to make changes to that directly or I want to disallow it completely. Um, and this allows you to get a whole bunch of performance benefits because if you don't need to copy 100 megabytes of data uh, and you can just use it as is, like a pointer, basically, mm -hmm. uh, okay. then then you can do things much more efficiently. But if you're using it as a pointer, then you're stepping into unsafe territory land, which is uh, the whole reason why... Um, the whole reason why, uh, like, Swift is a thing... It's because we uh -huh. want to get away from uh, an unsafe language, which is what Swift talks about when it talks about being safe. Uh, it's talking about being memory safe, meaning uh, like people can or your code cannot write bad code that is uh, something that someone else can uh, kind of take advantage of. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's it's like very specific, uh, I guess. Hmm. You're being specific about if you do want to be able to modify or let something else modify or not this structure, whatever you're you're copying. Yeah, and I don't. I once again, this is like super low level. So even uh, like even I who have read over this several times, I'm still not a hundred percent on it. So yeah, it was. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't really want to to like explain. Uh, without having used it because that's that's how at least on my brain works is once i use sure. something then i'm 
much more comfortable with it. But if I'm just like reading about it, I can have a high level overview, but that's okay. about as yeah, high no, as as it gets. Um, but basically, by mar- marking things as borrowing and consuming, you can indicate to the system uh, if uh, an explicit copy should or should not happen, basically. Um, and as a result okay. of that, uh, basically prevents at the compiler level, so give like a user error when you're trying to compile the code, uh, that you've, hey, you're, you're actually making a copy here. This is not what you actually want to do. Um, so you need to say, oh, I want to borrow this, uh, and therefore it's not making a copy, but that's now very explicit. Um, mm-hmm. and you are limited in what you can do at that point. Like you can't sure. necessarily make changes to it. It's no longer a mutable type, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so that's kind of where this is all coming together. And I definitely imagine we're going to see a lot more of it at WWDC and by a lot more of it, probably just like a single session that's like super low level, uh, for the <laughs> yes. Swift nerds, uh, to kind of get accustomed to it. Uh, and that's probably only going to be used in like Swift Neo. Um, and, uh, super low level stuff in the kernel, uh, because that's ultimately why this kind of code is necessary, right? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in a similar vein, uh, Apple now has, or they've always had, but they have a security blog, uh, and on it, they went and talked about, uh, what if, like, Apple had a sock puppet vulnerability in iOS 16, um, and... Uh, this is basically like the whole reason why Swift exists is to prevent uh, these kinds of like buffer overflow um, and out of out of memory access for for pointers um, and what essentially goes into preventing something like this um, and to to get to the nitty gritty uh, basically uh, Apple previewed uh, quite a bit. Uh, a while ago, maybe a year or two ago, uh, a new uh, type available to the kernel called kalloc uh, type. Um, and it allows when you're allocating memory to randomize where that memory ends up being allocated and prevents a very uh, consistent memory layout when you are actually allocating memory. So for instance, uh, in Ocarina of Time terms, uh, if you are trying to uh, do some stale reference manipulation to mm-hmm. uh, get the a wrong thing happening and some code execution happening when it's not supposed to by going in and out of uh, loading boundaries to kind of get everything ordered just right. That would be impossible mm-hmm. with this uh, because it actually actually is randomizing where the memory is ending up, not based on like where availability is, but just where like it can happen in the in the aggregate of like the whole memory space uh Mm -hmm. so that's what this is talking about in detail um but uh if you have any interest in this sort of thing at all i want to recommend uh people kind of check out this this blog post they haven't posted in like a year uh so this is the first in a while and it's very low level um but it it does give you an idea of the kinds of things that apple's thinking about which is kind of cool yeah, super cool. This is like so insanely in depth that I I I couldn't follow along at all uh, with it. But there was one part, kind of at the start, that it says like um, using this approach or using this vulnerability called sock puppet uh, that existed uh, pre iOS twelve. It was addressed and fixed in 
12.3 and 12.4.1, um, the the conventional approach that would that this would be used under uh, would have just an eight percent eight percent success rate now with this K alloc type that Dimitri mentioned. So they they have to do multiple sort of I guess setups and different approaches to potentially get something to work now uh, because all of the memory locations are randomized. So kind of a cool that that's really all I got out of it. I mean they have. They go into how the original exploit works and like all of these different things. I mean, it was very, very in depth. So that was about all I got out of it. But uh, it seems like a, a much more robust solution to prevent potential uh, issues. Yeah. Um, and fun fact: uh, Apple's security team does not only take security experts; they take uh, people who are new to the field of, uh, relatively new to the field of programming in general. Um, and you will learn about these types of things. Like the team is very uh, open about teaching uh, each other how to uh, kind of work because you don't necessarily need to think like an attacker to uh, make these changes. You just need to think of novel ways that you can completely prevent whole classes of bugs from existing, um, right? Um, and the really cool thing about this is a lot of this gets added to the C language. Right. This is part of C. Mm, this is not part sure. of Swift. Uh, this is not part of uh, any any newer memory safe language. This is in in memory unsafe language. What can we do to like safeguard ourselves just a little bit more so that way, uh, even if we do shoot ourselves in the foot, uh, we shoot ourselves in a non deterministic way that's going to be hard <laughs> to uh, yes. hard for someone to to take advantage of. Right. Yeah. Definitely. In a completely different set of news, uh, Apple is finally getting into the the AI space, uh, and they're they're making sure that Siri is the best uh, conversationalist you can ever have. Um, and I'm completely pulling this out of my behind because uh, they did not do that. They did something completely out of left field. Um, I I think, uh, and they're bringing AI for accessibility, which is really really cool. Yeah, it's kind of a really interesting way of incorporating AI. Um, and this sort of goes along with um, a bunch of AI changes that they're making. And it's like, uh, in part of this article, it mentions having like it, calling it like a grandpa mode or a grandparent mode, which is like perfect because my grandpa has an iPhone, uh, but the dynamic type is like turned all or he's, he's <laughs> turned, turned to 11, on. Right? <laughs> Yeah, like the accessibility dynamic type. So it's like extra, 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 extra large type just so we can read it and everything. Um, and this looks perfect for him. So it's got a bunch of things. Um, so there's like assistive access that is just a simplified UI that makes everything very large. Um, and it, I don't think it would work for every app, but it has um, it, it works for uh, phone, messages, photos, camera, music, and TV. Um, and it's just it blows everything up so <clears throat> everything is very easy to see like the photos grid is like it's a grid but there's only two photos per sort of row and so it's just very large uh, but then like Dimitri said it's also getting into like AI stuff where uh, it can create sort of an AI voice of yourself so you could send uh, voice messages or probably use it for um for uh phone calls i suppose i didn't i can't remember if i read that or not but 
using sound bites, it can do that. Or it even says um, you can pick a sort of a, a pre-canned voice if you're unable to even give it voice uh, samples at all. Uh, something that's perhaps similar to you, but it has you like read phrases to be able to generate your own AI voice. Uh, so yeah, I think it's it's pretty cool. Uh, that's not everything, but um, that's kind of I think probably the biggest AI thing, and that's that seems like a very wholesome way of using AI, especially with all of this stuff that people are doing AI voice generation for like robocalls. And I've heard of some that uh, people will use. I don't know how well it works, but they'll uh, make it seem like you got in an accident and they call your loved ones and it's an AI voice of you saying you got in trouble and you need, or like you're in jail or something and you need bail or whatever. Uh, this is like a very wholesome spin on that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I feel like the, the can of worms has already been opened, so let's at least use the technology for good rather yeah. than for uh, a movie production because people are too lazy to pay actors to say the line again, um, or b uh, like doing very mean things. Like uh, uh, this is one I heard from a few years ago. They were basically sampling when you answer a phone call uh, and you say hello. Uh, and they use your hello oh. to, to synthesize a voice that was very similar to you. And since the yeah. phone system is so low, uh, so low fidelity in terms of like actually being able to comprehend and know if someone actually is who they are. I mean, you can call someone and say you're their grandchild and they'll believe you. Uh, yeah. So if if you can do it and actually sound like uh, their grandchild, then I think game over um, at this point. Um, and yeah, we're basically at that stage. I mean, if you've seen all the stupid Balenciaga, uh, videos, on I YouTube, love those dude. They're um, so good. <laughs> then that is, uh, that is kind of the can of worms that's already open. So, um, yeah. that that's, that's unfortunate, but I think the, the silver lining here is, uh, like you said, it allows people who potentially can't speak anymore to kind yeah. of regain their voice. Um, and this was kind of made uh, popular by Dr. Stephen Hawking, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if younger folks will know of him, but uh, definitely our generation kind of grew up with him as uh, a, a science advocate. Um, and I never knew what he sounded like no. other than yeah. through his speech to text or his text to speech uh, synthesis. Um, and this is what that's basically allowing anyone with an iPhone to do without getting any extra software or anything like that. So I think that's really cool, especially when uh, you know that you might have ALS and you can kind of do it early, right? Um, You can kind of prepare for the inevitable that you know is coming, um, but at the very least you'll be able to keep uh, with very high fidelity nowadays uh, what your voice sounded like um, and that can be like the smallest thing to someone or the, the biggest thing. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, they added a more detection features to the magnifier app. And I thought this one was, was kind of cool. Cause let's see, it says it's designed to identify and read incidental texts like button labels you'd find on a vending machine or a kitchen appliance display. Um, and so what they've done now is, it looks like you drag your finger around the actual physical thing, not on the phone, 
as sort of to tell the phone, hey, this is the thing that I want to know what the text is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they make the... Um, they oh, make that's the, really cool. Yeah, it says it makes it a lot easier to correctly choose Coke rather than accidentally pushing the Sprite button, which is like, that's super cool. So you can say like, I want, there's a whole bunch of text all over this, you know, what the camera's seeing. Uh, tell me what this thing is, and you kind of circle around it, and it can tell you exactly what that is. So you make sure you choose the right thing or, or read, you know, what you're actually looking for. So, uh, yeah, super cool stuff all around. I mean, <clears throat> it's it's very cool to see. Uh, oh, one thing I should mention is, like, that AI-generated voice. Uh, it's all done on device, so you can't, like, have it be your new Siri uh, voice assistant or whatever. So uh, it, it super cool that all of the ML uh, stuff that they put into a- Apple Silicon is really getting used for, like, all of this on-device stuff. It doesn't have to send be sent off device. I'm sure it would probably just work um, without needing, uh, you know, an internet connection or anything. So that's that's great. Yeah. Um, the the first feature you're talking about, the I think it's called assistive access, um, where everything kind of gets simplified. Uh, it reminds me of Simple Finder. And I don't know if this is still an option available on macOS today, uh, but Simple Finder made the Mac very simple. Uh, like it, it simplified all the menus, it simplified the dock, it simplified the windows that you're interacting with. Like you don't close the main window that's there. That's That's the one that's that's kind of present with all the stuff, all your stuff in it. Um, So this kind of reminds me uh, a little bit about that. And I really hope that we as developers get APIs to interact with us because even just uh, like the dynamic text, cranking that to the maximum, like as a developer, that can be really hard to work with. Um, And there's one secret solution, put everything in a scroll view. Uh, like every screen is a scroll view, uh, and then just throw design out the window if you detect that things are getting uh, to oh. a certain size. Just make sure it's linear, top to bottom. You're showing the content that you need to show, um, and that oftentimes like does the trick, um, and and makes it very easy to uh, to kind of use and and phone in that like condition. Otherwise. Like, you might want to set it to that, but then apps like, oh, but I didn't have enough room to show my two labels side by side. Mm-hmm. D- doesn't matter. There's nothing side by side anymore. Everything is top down. <laughs> and that simplifies uh, everything, uh, especially once it doesn't fit anymore. And Swift UI makes this very easy, too, with, like, view that fits, um, which is that new kind of view modifier uh, that just will pick the one that fits best. And if you have a few different sizes of, what you want to configure, then that will kind of do the right thing there. Um, so that's really, really cool. Yeah. This this also mentions uh, that, like, the Photos and Music app display their contents in a grid that's, like, flatter uh, mm-hmm. than, like, hierarchical. So you're probably not using, like, you're not pushing to new view controllers. So it would be really cool to... So they fixed the Music app. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, but it would be cool, like you say, to have API access to say, like, here's a completely alternative UI... Um, like I think the scroll view would totally work, but it would be really nice to just have a like tailor made UI for this mode, so that you know you're offering a really good experience either mm-hmm. way. So, yeah, this this yeah. feels like a different app that you're building, exactly, um, and yeah, you're just yeah. distilling all the functionality to nothing uh, for the people who need like the very basics of the basics. You're not going for uh, tremendous functionality um, here, so that's that's. 
uh, perhaps hard for most apps. Like you're you're going down into the oh your app has limited functionality. Uh, yeah. Uh, class of uh, of uh, problems, and then like what are you competing on? Like what merits? Like so that's that's going to be interesting to see if this is something that is open to third parties. Uh, how they're going to like work around it. Uh, it might just be useful to uh, apps that ha- already have like a foothold, in which case you're kind of removing functionality from the people who like gr- like already learned how to use it. Um, yeah. So maybe it's only for new users, and those new users are probably not going to be downloading apps. They just need a functional device that is. They need the flip phone, uh, yeah. and this is this is their flip phone at that at that point. Um, yeah. So maybe it doesn't need a third party uh, like access, and I That's went full circle there and on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a lot of ways that that it could be solved. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, f- my final note that I wanted to to bring up is uh, if you don't know about the magnifier app, uh, this is something that I think you access via Control Center if you set it up, mm-hmm. um, and this is a uh, this is the opposite of simple. It has so many features and functionality uh, that have just been dumped in it. If you thought the camera app was complex with like all the various <laughs> things they can do, like QR codes and all that, uh, the Magnifier app just takes that to 11. Um, it has, it's basically uh, a camera app with whose sole purpose is not necessarily taking pictures, but to analyze the world around it. Um, and you can, you can really zoom things in or you can change color filters. Uh, you can have it detect stuff. Um, and this really smells like, uh, a default mode that a certain, uh, headset might have, um, the more mm. I think about it. Uh, I'm not talking about for like everyday people, uh, but if you have accessibility needs, you might flip a switch or two and the headset is just capable of doing all these things, um, potentially, uh, to your benefit. Like if, if, yeah. uh, this might give a way for people with low like vision um who like whether you're classified as uh blind because you cannot see anything or because you can just see very little this might help you by being your eyes right um yeah. and i don't know how that's going to come to fruition like with version 1 but i can definitely see a version of apple's headset in the future not necessarily concentrating on having visors at all right um mm-hmm. and just have the camera set up for someone to be able to just point their head and point at something without holding up their phone right that would be nice that's yeah. that's kind of like what i'm envisioning here um and maybe at this point you like also have the 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 whole goggle set up uh and people might ask like hey you're blind why do you need to see anything and while well, you're not really seeing you're hearing um mm-hmm. at that point or it might be pulling into focus something that you could never quite put into focus, right? Yeah. Because of your of uh, limited capabilities that you might have. Um, and I, I don't mean to say this as like, oh, uh, this is the same thing as being blind. It is not. But um, to give you an idea uh, of what b- counts as blindness, if I take my glasses off, I am blind. Like, by law, I'm not allowed to drive. I'm not allowed to yeah, do exactly. many things. Yeah. Um, and that counts as a disability. If I cannot wear my glasses for whatever reason, I am 100% disabled. Um, and yes, it's not the same thing as like 
being blind and needing a cane, for instance, like that is a completely separate category. And I acknowledge that because I'm able to solve my disability with a relatively cheap, uh, if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't owned by um, Monopoly, yeah, owned by Monopoly, um, uh, solution, uh, that is like one, one way around it. But, uh, that is kind of, like, if I don't need to wear my glasses and I can wear an Apple headset that puts things into focus and gives me much more, then I might consider to do that much more often than otherwise because, like, I need to put something on my face, right? Um, yep. And it's just an option of, like, what to put. Yeah. I was looking for my driver's license. It has, you know, like, the Class D or whatever exception of, like, yeah, need to have some uh, uh, augmented vision, whatever it says. My favorite uh, is when I when I went to get that renewed and they asked me to read the sign. I'm like, don't bother. <laughs> like, I cannot read just, it without my just glasses. Just give me the just, exception. Yeah, just uh, I need corrective lenses. Thank you. <laughs> oh yes, that yeah, yeah. Um, on the topic of uh, such a reality headset, uh, we don't know what's actually going to be called, but uh, that's kind of what's in the rumors. Uh, it seems that XROS has been yes. trademarked for your iPhone XR. Yeah, kind of interesting. Wait, for your iPhone XR? Whoa, 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 whoa. hold on. Hold Not on. Are we getting... Okay. It's an OS. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, the New Zealand Intellectual Property Office confirmed the registration of XROS. And it's like, specifically, it has a screenshot of it in like San Francisco font. So like, you know, uh, interesting. It says that it's owned by Deep Dive LLC. Um, so that's kind of interesting, but yeah, uh, that's, uh, probably what the OS is going to be called. I, it, I think it mentions that they've kind of been, uh, the, yeah, Apple did something similar, but with the trademark and wordmark reality OS. So internally Apple had been considering both reality OS and XR OS, meaning extended reality OS. So, uh, some, some live feedback here. Uh, XROS, uh, auto completes to bros. Nice. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also I'm assuming it's not, it's not pronounced, uh, 10 right? Oh yes. 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 Because that, it was the, the iPhone 10 R. Um, yes. And Mac OS 10. Yes. Yeah. It auto corrects to bros. That's so good. <laughs> I think we have a title. Um, now on to completely different news. Uh, we have some new apps that launched in the past week, um, mm -hmm. and some are under uh, some more scrutiny than others. Uh, the first is a Kaleidoscope Four, uh, which they released a blog post I think like a week or two ago, basically saying ahead of time, "Hey, they're not going to have uh, they're not going to have a one-time purchase for Kaleidoscope Four. They're going with subscription." Um, billing for it um, which is very interesting uh, but they did overall the app and put a bunch of effort into building something that very few people probably use um, certainly not enough to keep a, a team of several yeah. kind of employed full-time uh, so and maybe this is this is the way that they have to do it right yeah it's definitely hard juggling that subscription model and um, well yeah but it does have some cool things. Syntax coloring, I think, is cool. Like, I use just, like, file merge when I need to deal with the merge conflict because it's, like, built in and it works fine. And 
generally the merge conflicts I use aren't, uh, I, I deal with aren't, you know, super complex. So I don't think I, I need uh, syntax highlighting to understand what's going on or anything. And to be clear, file merge may be older than us. Um, uh, yeah, it's freaking old. But it works great. It works great. There's nothing. I don't know. There's yeah, let's see what okay. the copyright says. <laughs> I'm now I, curious. Yeah. I will say one thing. I know that we do use Kaleidoscope for um, for as an F-O-R, not F-O-U-R, uh, the, the new version. Okay, no. Uh, we, is... we are older than file merge. Uh, it is okay. 1996, uh, Ooh, but I just not by much. Barely scraped by there. Okay. <laughs> Um, one thing that we do use Kaleidoscope uh, for is we do screenshot um, comparisons mm-hmm. uh, in our testing. So it's really cool that you can pull uh, two images in and it will like give you a visual sort of, I don't really know how to explain it, a visual outline of what's different. So it's useful and we do use it internally uh, at work, but I don't use it personally. I, our, our person that mostly deals with testing does so. Yeah, it's it's definitely a great tool, um, yeah. and it has a lot of uses. Um, I I did I was one of the people who spent I think a hundred and seventy dollars on oh, yeah. on Kaleidoscope three, um, and I used it a bunch. I don't know if I used it a hundred and seventy four dollars worth uh, for yeah. uh, my my day to day work. Uh, so like personally, I don't think. I have a need to subscribe to it. Um, that said, uh, if I do have a need, I now know like w- that it's available, um, and I guess I can go ahead and use it for like periods of time when I do need to use it. Right um, now that it is subscription, uh, it's not something that you necessarily need to um, need to do uh, like constantly. So. That's 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 how it is. Um, I wish I, of course, wish them success in doing this because this is kind of the kind of thing that can either make or break uh, your company that you're trying hard with. Uh, and they clearly took several bets putting it on the App Store, for instance. Um, and now I think they're completely off the App Store um, for oh. this version. Um, I don't think it's it's going to sense. be back on there. Uh, they had a bunch of trouble with like having uh the command line utility be part of the app store version it was a big mess um so uh i'm hoping that it's it works well for them um but yeah i think it's it's kind of went out of scope for ever more people who were just fans of the original kaleidoscope when it came out and kind of kept up with it up until today mm-hmm. uh talking about software we are fans of uh panic also released a new version of a piece of software that uh i believe it was just last week that i spoke and and mm-hmm. got a little a, a little bit angsty about uh and that was a uh, nova because nova 11 uh just came out um and nova 11 concentrates on uh a few things in particular uh the workspace uh making sure that uh git support is much much better um, nice. and adding a lot more, uh, support for different font features so that we can get all your, uh, funky ligatures and stuff like that. Um, and importantly, if you scroll down in the fix section, um, and I'm going to need to fi- find the exact one here, but it says, uh, and I quote, fix the potential crash when attempting to display tooltips for text decorations that have already been removed. Um, and I happen to know that that is exactly, 
the bug that I was hitting because I have looked at a lot of crash logs and I know exactly that it's NS tooltip that was crashing constantly. Uh, uh so, uh, I am very happy to, uh, get to use this once I'm, uh, back doing TypeScript development, uh, and no longer, uh, human development. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to report that this is supposedly fixed. And if you ran into this trouble as well, it is now a solved problem. Uh, and everyone who is doing anything other than Swift development should go check out Nova, uh, which by the way also has an, ex- an official Swift extension. Uh, oh, nice. so that way you can do Swift development in Nova. So if you're doing like a Swift package, uh, and you don't necessarily want to bring all of Xcode up, um, then you can just go ahead and use Nova. And that is super, super cool. Um, especially since you just need the command line utilities to get the Swift compiler, I believe. Like you don't need all of Xcode. Uh, so if you do not have, uh, 5G, uh, this is an opportunity to, to be much faster doing server side development. Uh, using yeah. Nova uh, rather than using Xcode. Yeah, maybe I'll. Uh, I was I was going to say it looks awesome. I have no reason to use it, but maybe I'll try it with um, with some Vapor stuff. That'd be cool. There's uh, like a free trial, right? Yeah, there's uh, there's a a generous free trial. Um, all the extensions like are findable in the app itself. Um, and in general, it's just a pleasure to use because the Sweet. folks at Panic made it. Um, yes, and other than that one crash that I constantly hit, um, that seems to be fixed. I think that like, there's really nothing else that, uh, I would call a big shortcoming of, of Nova. So nice. It's, cool. it's way, 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 way better than VS code. And that's VS all code, that yeah. matters. <laughs> VS code is hot garbage. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that Swift developers, have an alternative that is not VS Code to Xcode, uh, and that's Nova, which is awesome. Nice. Talking about alternatives, uh, Apple Silicon is much faster running on uh, a Mac, well, obviously, um, but a Mac running Acai Linux. Uh, so yeah. for those who have not been uh, keeping up with uh, the spelunking that some folks have been doing, this is a particular version of Linux which has been otherwise tailor-made for Apple Silicon, and they've been slowly uh, porting over basically everything uh, to this new this new CPU uh, class. Um, and it turns out that uh, Linux is much faster at certain things uh, than macOS. Uh, so, for instance, just like uh, expanding uh, or unexpanding. Um, I'm not sure what my tar uh, yeah, I don't know what tar doing. flags are. Uh, but if you're doing one of those things, uh, on macOS, uh, it takes 6.8 seconds, which is great. Uh, if you're using SI Linux, it takes one second. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's quite the, yeah. quite the difference. Um, and it's not just like, it's, it's like overall, uh, no matter what you do, uh, it's just much, much faster on the same exact hardware, which is a little bit embarrassing for Apple. Um, and I know this is, embarrassing for apple because i use their computers daily um and i can uh go ahead and attest to the fact that mac os is not as stable as it used to be um and sometimes it's a hot piece of garbage uh namely with regard to how much stuff you can have open like it's did not go through the rigorous testing necessary to have 50 windows open right 
And I'm not talking about like 2000. I'm just talking about more than like you have a clutter on your desk, right? Because your brain is a clutter. So you put that on your screen instead of on the physical surface. And this is uh, something that your computer no longer is capable of handling. And we were talking about this with Spencer a little bit. Like I used an iBook G3 with 256 megabytes, count them, of RAM. Um, and, uh, you probably can't count them. It's still a lot. Um, but that was capable of dealing with the hodgepodge that is my brain in a way that a modern computer cannot, um, on Safari one, this is not like Safari one would crash and lose everything when it uh, like got to a web, a web page that didn't like it had its issues, but you could have lots of things open because guess what it did? It just paged stuff to RAM to disk. A spinning disc in a laptop. Yeah. The, the most horrible <laughs> thing possible. It was slow. Sure, fine. I'm happy with things being a little bit slow, especially with their super fast SSDs that go at gigabytes per second. Gigabytes, not bits. Uh, so, like, I don't know what the issue is here. I don't know if we're trying to save the SSDs in our computers because people buy the ones that have the most limited SSD because Apple sells those. Um, maybe if you just have the big SSDs, it just turns off these optimizations that try to like save it. I, I really don't know what to, what to say at this point, but, um, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that Linux is faster. Unfortunately, Linux does not have a good web browser other than Chrome and I don't want to use Chrome. Uh, so I'm not going to use Linux, uh, but, uh, Apple should be embarrassed about these numbers and should work hard to improve them because, it's it is embarrassing that's all i can say it is embarrassing it's yeah and you know i i don't know if asagi linux specifically is is like open source or how different you know distros work like that but uh they could just like take the work that they're doing and i don't know i feel like they i don't know it it's a bummer it's a huge bummer that yeah like you said mac os is not as stable as it used to be i started using mac os like in lion so yeah i mean lion 10.5 right yeah i think so (laughs) like i i think you've been using it way longer than i have but yeah i never had problems until like uh i don't know catalina maybe i I remember when we installed mac os 10 on on my mom's laptop and uh, we we spent like five minutes to get to text edit and it wouldn't open like the simple text files that we had and we we're like nope or or we, we went the opposite <laughs> direction like we had we it opened the simple text files but then we saved them and we popped over back to Mac OS nine um, yeah. dual booted um, yeah. and and like and none of the RTF documents were readable and we were like nope not using this yet <laughs> yeah um, no that's so. fair. Def- definitely some growing pains getting macOS to like a happy place, but it w- genuinely was one of the best operating systems available yeah. at the time. Um, and it especially grew into being one of the best operating systems. And sure, nowadays it has a lot more to contend with, but I think years of neglect from dealing with the shadow that is uh, from iOS, I think yeah. have left it in a very sorry state. Um, and it's unfortunate because it's it's hard to use as something for work um and that's like the only thing that mac os still has a strong suit with is using it as a tool for work um and if it makes that hard like i imagine 
the people who like do 3D development or like not programming, but they actually use their computers for something like actually strenuous on like the hardware for a different reason if they're running into these same issues or if they are just used to shutting down their computer every night um and not having like long-standing problems from that so <laughs> yeah. i really don't know i maybe i shouldn't be complaining i have 5g internet now i can just like reload all those safari windows like nothing yeah, but um I, and i should just like restart every day uh and maybe i wouldn't have any issues either but it it it's... feels silly yeah, and I mean, you're definitely paying the the ultra premium of what any Apple device costs, right? So it should just work. I don't know. I watched a Dankpod video. I don't know if you watch Dankpods, but I've been watching them for like years. Um, he does like the iPod, you know, mod stuff. And now it's uh, just more general stuff. And what he did was he bought, he's in Australia, and he bought a, a, a studio display for $2,500, probably in Australian dollars. Uh and he updated the firmware on it and it bricked it and he was just so pissed and like that's the kind of thing it's like i think i agree i think ios and then probably by extension ipad os uh takes precedence over everything else and there's just not as much qc put into anything else and like he took it back and they gave him his money back but like that sucks that's it's a monitor you know what i mean so i don't know and then mac os itself is just like I don't know how much Max like a fully kitted out Mac Studio costs, like six thousand dollars or something. Uh, it shouldn't have these problems with X amount of windows open, right? So yeah, it's 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 kind of silly. I credit where credits due. Apple does do a good job of hey, if your monitor gets bricked because of a failed software update, you're not going to need to do too much out of out of the ordinary to get that replaced or just get your money back entirely yeah. like they're not going to pull a a fast one on you to say like sure. oh uh you didn't get your get your six-year warranty with your us apple and care yeah like a car warranty and it's they are one huh. of the better companies uh to to deal with for most things like they take uh your benefit of, in the doubt the majority of the time that said it shouldn't be breaking to begin with right yeah the hardware is of such a, an incredible amount of quality higher than the software that they're putting on it. And that is so sad, right? Yeah. Um, it's not like we're in the old Apple days where it's like, oh, the, 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 the cat, like the, the capacitors are not good quality. Uh, and therefore the thing is blowing. Like maybe with the HomePod that was the case, but uh, sure. they, they fixed that. Um, and for most of their hardware, like it's rock solid. Heck, it works better with a different operating system, right? Yeah. That's like... It's the software. It's <laughs> definitely the software. Um, I don't know if they don't have that. Maybe they don't have the software expertise anymore. And they don't have the leeway uh, and enough engineering... Enough of an engineering team to like... That it knows of these problems to fix them. Um, and there's like but so why much... Why don't they have that? They have so many employees. Why can't they find someone? They have all the money in the world. They why don't, don't they want... hire... Oh, I have the solution. Uh, or I have... Okay. The... I know the, the problem and the symptom. They don't want to okay. hire remote folks. So all the people That's who so are really good, dumb, they finally decided, I don't want to live in Cupertino anymore. And they moved. Uh, and Apple is not, not on board with 
uh, keeping those folks employed at their company and therefore they aren't working there. Um, imagine how many, imagine how many of the like earnest developers on the app store, um, would just give up indie development to work at Apple. If Apple just said, Hey, do you want to work for us? Um, here is, uh, like we're never going to say like, Oh, we're not doing Swift development or we're not doing iOS development anymore. We're like, that's, that's Apple. Uh, you're going to be able to continue doing that. Um, have great job security, um, and just be able to work from home. Um, and I would say eight out of 10 third party developers would probably say yes to that opportunity. And Apple could probably take all of the third party developers and just have them work at Apple and improve things and have a bunch of really cool first party apps. Um, that is a solution that Apple could do, um, that they refuse because like those folks are not working in Cupertino in an office. So dumb. So uh that's that's the way it is yeah um talking about things that are not dumb uh, i think this is amazing actually uh google analytics is basically illegal in europe now um which is absolutely like i don't know how we got to this point but we got to it um and there is a way around it and i'll just talk about that right away um if you are a european company and you want to use google analytics all you need to do is set up a proxy server where all requests go to that proxy server first, and then they go to Google Analytics, um, and also strip out uh, like UTM codes uh, that say like where people came from. Uh, then it's legal. Uh, so that's like the exception. Um, but if you use Google Analytics by default by having your customers point to Google servers as a result of visiting your website, uh, you can get in big trouble uh, with GDPR. Um, and honestly. Like that is amazing that that is like the outcome that we got to um go Europe, yeah, it's pretty cool, yeah, they're just not stripping out uh personal identifiers, so it's like oh, uh, that's pretty bad uh I don't know why i I guess I know why Google's not doing it themselves or whatever it's not I mean, I'm sure they want well, that. they're gonna have to now that the the service yeah. is by de facto yes. illegal. Uh, if they yes. still want people to, to give them money, they're going to need to make some change. Yeah, so that's uh, not shocking, I guess I should say. But yeah, I mean, honestly, this is this is kind of useful regulatory pressure, right? Um, it's not yeah. fighting oh, yeah. Google. It's it's basically saying, hey, Google, you're on your own. Hey, every company that's working with Google, you're on the naughty list. Um, and Google is in trouble because if they don't want to lose all those customers, which are giving them money, they don't want to lose money, uh, not by having to give it to the government, but by it no longer coming into their wallet, uh, they need to make a change. Um, and the change that they can do uh, is, is to make it more private. Um, and if they don't do that, those customers are going to leave. Uh, it's not like... Yeah. Uh, the other situation where Facebook is like, well, our users are not going to leave, right? So you can fine us, and sure, we'll pay the fine, but we're making more money every month than that fine is per year. That fine was, like, way big, wasn't it? It wasn't, like, $1.3 billion, yeah. and they're still, like, whatever. I think they make $2 billion in revenue a year, a month from um, European users, so. Unreal, dude. Because those customers are not going to leave. So, like, yeah. these are two very different situations, um, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because google is going to probably make a move 
this time and not just be okay paying some sort of fine because they're not the ones being fined uh, this time. It's going to be European companies, which are absolutely going to to move. Like they're not going to continue using Google Analytics if this is like the danger that them existing poses, right? Because they don't have the capacity to pay those fines. Uh, yeah. So they're probably going to either dump Google Analytics or use Google Analytics in a way that makes Google Analytics es- essentially useless. Um, so that's going to be like, there's tons of other providers that do do it in a European safe way. Uh, so they can go ahead and use them, uh, which right. means that Google is going to essentially, they're cut out of an entire market, um, whether they that's like it or awesome. not. So uh, that is that is very interesting. So one thing that I thought was interesting about this whole thing is that they determined that no proof of data abuse was like needed. Like they didn't, there need need to be like any precedent for this or anything. So uh, like the assessment was like, it wasn't that they had to actually be able to identify or they didn't have to already have identified a user. The fact that it was theoretically possible for them to do that was like a violation of GDPR. So. They're like kind of preempting this, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I, kind of preempting. I guess Google can still sue the government and try to like appeal uh, these decisions because they are the ones that are sure. hurt by this decision uh, at the end of the day. So we'll see how well that goes and how well Europe cares. I don't think they care. Um, and at the end of the day, like you can't go boohoo to people who don't care. Uh, so uh, we'll see. Um, on the topic of other very foolish things that Google has done recently, uh, they have created new top-level domains, namely .zip and .mov. Um, and I'm just going to read out to you a URL, uh, and you tell me if it sounds legit or not. <laughs> HTTPS colon slash slash github.com slash Kubernetes slash Kubernetes, like standard GitHub repo. Right? Slash archive slash ref slash tags, standard tags URL, uh, slash at v1271.zip. Um, and this uh, can very well be a phishing link uh, because yeah. it turns out URLs can have an at sign. Uh, and if URLs have an at sign, everything before the URL, not the server, not the path, it's all the username. Um, and that means that everything after the at sign, that's a server. So in this case, v1271.zip, that is a actual domain, an actual website that you can load. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, very dangerous, uh, to say the least. This is so bad. It talks about, (laughs) like, some, uh, some, uh, let's see if I can find it. It talks about a couple sort of like domain names like getting rejected because they would have, I think, what are called collisions with like uh, local things like dot .local, dot .local host. Uh, but like this is like I think personally just as bad if you're able to complete – I mean you're essentially completely fooling whoever is looking at the link. Most people aren't going to look at the link. They'll click on it. Um, and even if you do are a little bit more technologically savvy, no one knows the at... at sign rule. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know the at sign existed until this whole thing came up. You're not you're gonna look at it and be like, yeah, that's fine. And it talks about like 
there being Unicode characters that are, look like a forward slash, but mm-hmm. they're a little bit different. That can be fooling, yeah, because that can also because be web browsers they they know this is possible, so they've long since ignored forward slashes. But guess what? There's tons of things that look like forward slashes. So. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's shockingly bad at that Google especially is. It's not like some random uh i don't know what you call it domain ho like per- people in the company that they may as domain. well be yeah it's freaking google dude they know and they're like their uh impetus for these two things are so bad because it's like all a marketing thing so uh dot mov oh sorry dot zip is uh aim the aim is to designate tying things together or moving really fast and moving pictures and whatever moves you. Those are the impetuses. But uh, whatever. Those are the Impetai. reasons for impetai. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> for dot .zip and dot .mov. It's like, that's the dumbest thing I have ever heard of for something that can be so potentially catastrophic uh, for phishing or downloading uh, potentially harmful files. I mean, it's, I, like, is it's flabbergasting how bad this could be so spencer i have some some real-time homework i'd like for you to do uh can you please go to your mom.zip oh i'm scared (laughs) okay what does it say there 413 request entity too large (laughs) haha but um (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah it took me a second good job good job um, uh, so I did not make funny. that up, obviously. Uh, someone else <laughs> just uh, uh, went and got your mom.zip uh, as it a domain. It looks official, yeah. Um, and then <laughs> uh, had a, a very real uh, HTTP error code uh, be returned there. Um, but jokes aside, uh, basically everyone is saying to just black hole.zip um, yeah. accesses on like company firewalls and stuff like that because nothing good is going to be on a .zip website unfortunately uh thanks to uh google um and same with mov is probably just as bad um so nothing can be trusted anymore um and i especially want to call out on this ars technica site uh there's a bunch of ads on here um some for like medication uh and they all have like the small like the small text thing but it's in this Mm -hmm. giant like the ad is like super thin, and then it has like a scroll area that just scrolls forever with all the the fine print for the medication, and I thought that was hilarious. Um, Love it. So this is me using the regular internet for the first time in forever, uh, discovering things live on a podcast. Um, but yeah, this this is hilarious. This is why I think it's kind of a mistake that I can opened up top level domains to private companies. Um, because at this point, like no one can do anything to say to Google, Hey, you can't do this. They can just do it. Um, and which they did, uh, without actually checking with anyone if this was a good idea or not. There's no Um, way they didn't think internally that someone didn't bring up like, Oh yeah, this is a terrible idea. I don't know. I mean, they didn't listen to them. Um, obviously. Yeah. Talking about top level domains. I have a, a cool tip and trick to share. Um, you probably have like a reasonably long, uh, Apple ID password and you probably need to type it absolutely everywhere. And sometimes you just want to like find it quickly when the little password thing shows up. 
Um, and unfortunately, Apple is no longer the top thing on a list anymore uh, because you have like Amazon, oh, uh, ADP, Airbnb, like all sorts of things now above the fold uh, in an alphabetical listing. And you, like me, probably wanted a field to have your Apple ID uh, be at the very top, but still being keychain, so it's kind of secure. Um, so I recommend everyone abuse top-level domains uh, and go ahead and save your Apple ID username and password under a.apple. Apple is a top-level domain owned by Apple, so no one can fish that, which is a good place to like save a password if you want. Uh, and turns out a.apple is on top of absolutely everything. Sure. Um, you can probably do like zero.apple if something came up before a.apple. Uh, which is would be weird, uh, but that's where I save my Apple ID. So then, anytime I need to like type in my Apple ID, and my device is being stupid about not allowing me to autocomplete it, but was smart enough to show me the little passwords thing on the keyboard, I can now yeah. tap that, and the first thing there is my Apple ID. So uh, that's my little tip and trick uh, to getting uh, to passwords quickly um, if you use iCloud. Nice, yeah. Apple's. Um... Naming scheme all those years ago coming in clutch now, even today. Uh, on the topic of uh, things that Apple has named, uh, they have named another framework uh, that I don't think anyone really registered existed, but probably came out last year at WWDC, uh, and that is Spatial.Framework. Um, and it is a framework full of like 3D math stuff. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. So just yeah, wanted to call and- it out. Yeah, probably uh, going to be fairly useful for things that come out in June, would be uh, my guess. Probably. Uh, the only funny thing about this, as Nick Lockwood points out um, when they discovered uh, this, is that Apple has uh, a whole bunch of different ways to represent 3D transformations now. There's a CA Transform yeah. 3D, uh, GLK Matrix 4, uh, SCN Matrix 4, SIMD float 4x4, realitykit.transform, spatial.projectivetransform3d. Um, and I'm sure there are more, uh, but this is from Core Animation. Um, uh, oh, what's, what's GLK? GLK is uh, OpenGL. OpenGL. Uh, yeah. SceneKit, uh, SIMD, which is the Accelerate framework, and then RealityKit, and now Spatial. <laughs> uh, so you think that Apple probably should have like aliased some of these once it came out with the new... Uh, the new type, but they probably couldn't because it's all like, uh, um, like binary, blah blah blah. Uh, there's a term for it. I am sleep deprived, so I'm not going to remember it. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's funny that there's like 17 different versions of the same thing. Uh, so hopefully this all kind of goes into spatial, and then you can use spatial for all sorts of use without sure. kind of bringing in everything else. This is ideally a very small, uh framework that has tons of useful math functions that just get included if you use the function and not if you don't kind of thing um so that'd be really nice um and then our last uh news update for the week um and that is uh drobo uh and retrospect which some folk may not have heard uh that word for a good few decades uh they do backup software or they did uh i should say because both of those the parent company is filing for bankruptcy um and they actually filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy like last year uh chapter 11 bankruptcy is different than chapter 7 bankruptcy uh basically means you're reorganizing and basically you reorganize before you file for real bankruptcy um i've 
basically every scenario that uh, gets into Chapter 11 bankruptcy does not really make it at the end. It's just CEOs trying to spare themselves, um, I think. Um, and that comes from firsthand experience, being in a company that filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Um, it got sold. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that's what ended up happening. And in this case, uh, Drobo did not get sold. And no one bought them, uh, probably. Uh, and therefore, it's being left to die. Uh, and being liquidated uh, for all its assets. So that's cool. Um, It was cool while it lasted, I guess. Yep. They only made, like, direct attached storage stuff, right? They they didn't make NASes or anything? They did make a NAS that they did not add Ethernet to, like, until a few years ago. It was weird. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I heard both great things and horror stories from Drobo. Uh, The great things were, like, it really simplified the whole raid setup like you don't think about it as being a raid you just add another drive yeah. and then you get extra performance in space um and that was great in a time when we did not have terabytes available to us right it's like oh i'm adding another 30 gigabytes like that's going to be useful um, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but nowadays like it just became more and more practical to have a single disk that just housed everything or to have a real raid setup if you really needed the performance um, right. not to mention since Strobo is proprietary, if anything went wrong on your disc, like everything went how yeah. went poof, because turns out having a raid is not backup. Who'd have thunk the, definitely not the people who'd made raid to constantly remind you raid is not backup. Um, but this was not a raid. So no one was there to remind you to use retrospects, which is a backup software, uh, to another Drobo. Um, but yeah. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text, size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you like or put them in a smart sack. Sticky widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. Sticky Widgets is a free download for the App Store, and additional font and color options are available for one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. So, Spencer, I have a Code Completion tip for you, um, and that is all about uh, using Markdown for your projects. So, say you have a repo, right, and you are uh, going and uh, writing up the README. Uh, and you want to add useful information there, but you don't want to like be too wordy. You want to like hide that information. Um, and you want like a handy little disclosure thing. Well, it turns out that is like fully supported in GitHub Markdown. Uh, and that is to use the details HTML tag. So, uh, if you open angle bracket details, close angle bracket, uh, and then open angle bracket summary, close angle bracket, you can go ahead and type a title for your disclosure thing. Uh, open angle bracket slash summary, close angle brackets to close out the summary. And then anything else you put there, the whole paragraph, that will be part of the disclosure. Um, and then don't forget to close your details uh, tag at the end of that. Um, and that's really, really neat when you want to like show or hide information uh, based on like where a user is really looking. Um, and so that way they can quickly scan through like an FAQ that you might have um, and then not need to like read paragraphs in between every item, sure. for instance. Um, so that's really, really cool. 
But if you just do it like that, you can't actually use Markdown, and that's somewhat surprising. You might be like, hey, I want to actually use Markdown in this, um, and you can't. Um, now, the secret is to add new lines before and after the text uh, that is in there. So if you have your details tag, your summary tag, new line, then have some text, that text can be marked down. There's a separate issue. It might have like a new line before the disclosure triangle because you put a new line there. Um, and the solution to that is make sure that that markdown is a header of some sort. So uh, pound sign, pound sign, pound sign, for instance, so get an H3 uh, is probably good enough. Um, but you can go more or less as you need. Um, and same goes for the contents of the details. Um, so I linked a gist of people like discovering this in real time uh, for themselves because they're like, okay, this is super great. Oh, it turns out you can do this. Oh, it turns out you can do this. Oh, it turns out you can do this. Um, so that's a really cool uh, gist if you haven't seen it uh, that goes over all this. Nice. Yeah, that's that's great. I love I think I've expressed my love for Markdown multiple times, uh, but that's super cool that specifically in, in like a, is this like only with GitHub Markdown, like GFM? I or? think so, but since this is technically HTML, it should work in other things. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. but, but that is I haven't tried it nice. in other context. Okay. But it is super nice. Yeah. I, I've definitely seen readme's where it's just like, uh, you know a, a deluge of information that like they've got tables in there and it's just like way too much information for you to like reasonably skim through so that's nice that you could section it out a little bit and and sort of use disclosure triangles to actually read what you need to care about and and ignore what you don't so nice that's a that's a good tip yeah um and you can also default these to open if you want so if you say open angle bracket details space open close angle bracket it will be open by default um so it doesn't mean that like you need to like have all these be closed and hide all a bunch of information you can't show it all up front the nice thing about the open ones though is someone can methodically close them like a checklist uh after they're done reading them uh especially if you have a lot of them so for instance i ran into this because i'm starting a new project and i wanted to have a public list of goals um that was in the readme um like things i want to attain by like by the end of 1.0, right? Um, that I didn't necessarily get to uh, in iteration zero um, because I didn't have a time to write much code for it yet. Uh, but I wanted to like get my brain matter onto onto the paper uh, in some way, um, and that is like how I'm doing it. I'm going through listing the goals and then giving details about those goals so I don't forget the details uh, down the line uh, using these little the details disclosure. Um, so. That's that's really useful, and I look forward to sharing that project when it's ready. Thanks. Uh, on to uh, another favorite uh, corner of uh, this podcast, and that is our mini review corner. Um, and uh, this week, I'm continuing uh, a part two review of what I kind of uh, went over loosely last week, um, and that is the Breville Smooth Wave Microwave. Uh, this one is not wow. app-powered. Uh, but it's called, it has wave in it twice, um, to the point where they don't even call it a microwave. They just call it the smooth wave. Um, uh, and I basically got it because we, we needed a new microwave cause ours was very bad and too, like too small. Uh, but also very bad. It had a, uh, a, a dial 
uh, for the time. Oh, uh, wow. So if you wanted 10 seconds, you counted 10 seconds in your head because there's no uh, there's no 10-second marker <laughs> on that thing. Um, you just kind of set it to a minute, count 10 seconds, and open it up. Um, that was that was our old microwave. Uh, but it was too small for, like, uh, sanitizing, uh, like, milk bottles and stuff like that. Uh, so we needed a bigger one. And we used that as an excuse to get a bigger toaster oven, which was last episode. Uh, and that one is app-connected, so go listen to that. Uh, but this week, we're talking about the Smooth Wave Microwave. Um, and this is a normal-sized microwave, unlike our really small, cheap one for our small apartment. Um, and I don't know what to say about microwaves other than this is a much better microwave than what we had. Uh, and I can compare it to digital microwaves. Um, I have used those before. Um, namely, my parents have a fully functional digital microwave. Um <laughs> And the the main difference with this one is uh, instead of having like a touch a touch uh, pad where you like have the numbers and you, you know, yeah. press the little buttons, you have a nice a nice turning knob uh, that's all clickety. Um, so that's that's like one Breville standard is you have nice knobs. Um, the LCD screen is also um, very clear in what it's doing. Um, a neat thing is you can slam the door of this microwave and it will not slam. It will kind of like catch itself last moment and then smoothly uh, click into place. And that's probably where the nice. smooth part comes from. Um, it's microwave functionality works like a microwave. You can set the power, you can set the time uh, and <laughs> have fun. Uh, but it does have three, three smart buttons. Um, and my favorite one of these, uh, and the only one I really use, uh, is a smart reheat um button um and this basically you press that and you press start and that's it you don't figure out time you don't figure out power um and what it's doing is it's sensing for steam um and when it gets a sufficient amount of steam it lowers the power um and then make sure it's like cooked through and finishes um and the the secret to this is not covering not sealing any food you put in there so covering it so it doesn't like splatter but always leave an opening for steam to get out um, and so far, it has done an excellent job at reheating pretty much anything we put in there. Um, cool. So, uh, A plus to that functionality. Uh, didn't know I wanted it until, like, it was forced upon us uh, uh-huh. by having a new microwave. Um, but that is something that I wasn't expecting to actually like, and it works quite well. Um, it does have, like, specialized buttons for, like, popcorn and, and all that, mm-hmm. but they're all inside, so when you open the door... They're like on the inside of the door, and you don't see them anymore when you close the door. So it's like a very oh. clean look. Um, there's one for melting butter, uh, which does not work with half sticks of butter, which I found surprising. I'm like, I don't always want to melt a whole stick of butter, yeah. but uh, <laughs> exactly. that is the minimum as a whole stick. So anything less than you get uh, very melted Liquid. butter if you yep. if you use that option, or you interrupt it halfway and it didn't quite do its magic. So I don't know how well that stuff works. Um, I haven't really uh, eaten microwave popcorn in forever either, so I don't really know how that works. Uh, but the buttons are there. Uh, there's also a button for pizza, which like I would never suggest microwaving a pizza, like yeah, toaster oven. No a pizza. toaster oven. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why you would microwave a pizza, but apparently people do. Maybe I'll be courageous one day to try it. Um, don't do but it. But I, I already if have you... the fancy toaster oven to do pizzas with, so I don't yeah. know. If you have a, I think it's like, I, we definitely, like, I never grew up with a toaster oven, but I bought one when I moved out and it hundred percent, if you have leftover pizza, just put it in the toaster oven. It's 
actually good in, in the microwave. It's just rubbery and gross. So don't okay, do don't, don't even attempt. Yeah, good to know from someone who has tried both uh, that it yes. is a world of difference. <laughs> oh, absolutely! It actually tastes like you could have just got it out of the restaurant uh, in the toaster oven. So yeah, yeah. We always just use our, our like full size oven uh, at home. Um, mm. Like we we are of the family that uh, buys more pizza than we can consume, and then we freeze the extra slices so that way at any moment in time like we yeah. want a slice just pull one out of the freezer um un unfold it from its foil and just stick that whole thing in the oven um at the whatever high temperature you want to set the oven to it doesn't really matter you just check yeah. it in five minutes it's done um so that's what we always did but toaster oven nice. absolutely much better uh yeah. at controlling that in any capacity <laughs> um and glad to know i should never use the microwave pizza button um yeah, no. but yeah, other than that, microwave A+, it's a bit overpriced. Um, it doesn't microwave yeah. better than any other microwave. But the, the dials, they're clickety. Um, and it matches the toaster oven-ish. So uh, on that note, uh, one, the colors didn't Ish. match because I got the, the gray one. And compared to the, like, the, the what does Apple call their, their dark gray finish? Uh, their space, space gray. gray. So I did not get the space gray microwave because there's no space gray microwave. They just have space gray toaster oven um for fifty dollars more which we talked about uh, but uh the size also is ever so slightly different which made me mad because i was like i'm getting these two things and i was gonna stack them uh and it would be fine but no they're like off by three quarters of an inch which is uh surprising like you don't really notice it unless you're staring dead on on it mm-hmm. um but we ended up moving the microwave to a different part of the kitchen which was previously occupied but we cleaned up a bunch it uh, turns out having a baby causes you to clean up a bunch. Um, and uh, it's happier there. Uh, but uh, yeah, but, like that is something if you're considering it uh, to get the microwave on the bottom, toaster oven on top. Toaster oven is bigger than the microwave. so And it's also like way high. So that was another reason why we didn't want to have it stacked. Um, yeah. So yeah. Cool. Thumbs also, spe- speaking of offspring, it looks like this has a child lock, so that's kind of cool. Not really an issue for you now. I but... did not know that. <laughs> so oh, well, good there to you know. go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, is it, is, it's just something to, to figure out one one day, I guess. Um, oh, gosh, I need a child lock for the whole kitchen, don't I? You're dang um, straight, you do. Yeah, we got we got those those plug covers uh, for mm-hmm. like the yeah. plugs. Like we, Classic. We, we got those, and we got the, the corner protectors, so that way you can bash your head against corners and only sustain mild injury <laughs> instead of death. Uh, so we got those, uh, but we did not get any, like, cabinet locks. Um, I don't I, think you really need to worry about that right now. I mean, yeah, we're, we're still fine. a year down the line or whatever. Yeah, but it's going to happen quickly, I feel like. And yes. unless I have a plan, uh, it's just going to go down in chaos. Um, I did loosely get tempted as I was fixing our door locks because August is like, oh, we also have cabinet locks. But then, like, I read something, oh, the battery died and now I'm locked out of my cabinet. Oh. Um, so no thank you. Um, yeah. I, I already want to, like, wire up my door locks to be permanently wired because I hate replacing batteries every, like, four mm-hmm. months. Um, and I'm not, I, I don't listen to their, uh, their suggestion of not using rechargeable batteries because I'm not, uh going to ever use non-rechargeable batteries ever again yeah um so yeah they die every like two three to four months and it's just 
That's a pain. I'm going to yeah. need to learn electrical engineering to wire something up because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but USB can solve my problems, surely. Thanks, Trey. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, I ended up reading, like, I was watching a YouTube video, and someone basically suggested, hey, those little uh, iPhone chargers uh, that no one knows what to do with, uh, they are basically the most compliant, perfect, like, USB power supply, uh, 5 volts, 1 amp you, you can get. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, yeah, while, while I had the chance, because I don't think they sell them anymore, um, I got a bunch of them for cheap, um, and I just have, like, a micro stockpile of them, which I used a ton of them (laughs) for all these new USB-C devices that come out that are not actually USB-C, um, Mm -hmm. that don't come with a wall wart anymore. They just come with, like, a USB cable, and it's like, what are you supposed to do with this? I don't know, use your old cell phone thing. So I, I, like, actually had a stockpile of these things, um, that was useful for this. Uh, but the real reason I got it was that way one day when I learn enough about how to solder real electronics, um, I could use them as power supplies for all the things that would need batteries. Um, so uh, one day, one day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Mastodon.social at Code Completion to know when new episodes go live. And feel free to toot at us if there's ever a topic you'd like to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-A-S, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Um, I think we decided already. XROS autocorrects the bros. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> Did it autocorrect for you too? I typed it like three times. I haven't tried it. I kept trying to type XROS and it kept autocorrecting the bros. I'm like, oh gosh. <laughs> this is now a thing. Uh, mine can, can corrects to CEOs. <laughs> CEOs? <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Bros is way better though. <laughs> so my autocorrect is clearly better trained than yours, Spencer. <laughs> uh, obviously. So. I'm very business oriented, you know me. <laughs> so. And it's I'm I'm deep in the bro culture, clearly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> unknowns to me. Uh that's what my autocorrect <laughs> thinks of me. Um Oh man, autocorrect. Like I swear I may have gone much worse at typing english and i get d and s mixed up or autocorrect is the one doing it i don't know anymore uh because as i'm like typing it ends up sounding like i'm an idiot who's uneducated who doesn't know how to type in their native language um <laughs> like misconjugating these verbs because it's either es or ed uh, and it's always wrong right. and it's always wrong after i reread it like not when i'm like <laughs> typing it out and i'm like is this me? I truly don't know anymore. Did I get to the point where I'm like mistyping or is it like autocorrect yeah. that's just doing it because someone else didn't know how to type English properly and maybe they're right. learning. Like, I don't know, but Apple shouldn't be learning based off people that are learning. They should just like use the language that hasn't really changed that much over the past few decades. That is like well understood for spelling, spell link corrections right like yeah ah. yep i know
I don't know. On the topic of uh, things that need spelling corrections, I have a TOTK final review uh, out on my counted out notes. Uh, do we want to uh, have final thoughts on Tears of the Kingdom now that uh, you have completed the game? Sure. Yeah, I uh, I just checked my Switch right before... Um, and it's a, it fine. You know how the switch, if you go to your profile and you want to see how long you, you five played, days ago, like, yeah, it's like, just give me the hours, dude. <laughs> Finally. Um, I just checked it today and it says it's played. I've played 80 hours or more, which honestly is less than I thought. I thought I had topped a hundred hours already. Um, I, I, I can't remember if I said this in the last, um, episode. I think I did, but I took a week off of work. So I had nine days straight to play it. And boy, did he use them. <laughs> oh, I did. Uh, I probably averaged 10 hours a day. Um, there was one or two days that I, I didn't play hardly at all. So I guess that makes sense. It's about 80 hours. Um, yeah, really good. Really, really, really good game. It's definitely tied for uh, my number one favorite game of all time uh, with Elden Ring. Uh, it's definitely topped Breath of the Wild, which... Didn't really think that was possible, but it definitely it happened. It ruined so. Breath of the Wild. I don't yeah. think, like, even just the mechanics-wise, I don't think I can ever really enjoy, like, maybe after 10 years, I'll be able to, like, enjoy pulling out Breath of the Wild. But yeah. in terms of, like, polish, it really shows, like, what that game could have been if they had six more years, which... Yeah. Like they had six more years, yeah. Um, even in COVID times, like they really didn't didn't show any signs of uh, procrastinating or not not doing the work. They did an absolutely amazing job. Yeah, I'm really glad that it was like probably two years ago. I went back and played Breath of the Wild again on Master Mode. Uh, so like I have, I feel no need to go back, which is great. Uh, I think Dimitri said it best when it, like it relegated Breath of the Wild to, like, tech demo hood. It's like, there's way more variety, there's way more storyline, and I get that the storyline was kind of meant to be, like, you, you find it yourself, but um, Tears of the Kingdom does that, but also brings it a little bit more to the forefront, which is cool. But, like, variety in enemies, I think uh, the way that they essentially solved the problem of weapon durability, which I think was hard uh, for a lot of people, I didn't particularly enjoy how fast things degraded. They made that better with the fusibility. Uh, I mean, you get magnesis for anything, basically, which was awesome. And being able to uh, stick things together. And, you know, I didn't do anything wacky, but making your own, you know, flying machines and stuff was cool. And not to mention all the things that people have done on YouTube and stuff is crazy. Uh, it's super funny to see people make, like death lasers that just like fire 12 lasers while flying around the enemy i mean it's it's very cool it's so early into i think what people can do mm -hmm. uh, i'm excited to see what people do just for fun but also like for speed running we've kind of i've very lightly been tracking what you know speed runs have been doing and i think it started out at about 94 minutes i think dimitri just said it's down to about 60 uh yeah 66 sure, minutes or something yeah so i'm sure it's gonna get lower than that um i just saw that there was a patch for uh it's like 1.1.2 1. 1. or 1. whatever oh, there goes the duplicate that, item glitch yeah that fixes the duplication glitch which is a bummer but uh, uh yeah, honestly it makes breaking. the game better 
Like, it really does Kinda take so does. much away from the game if you yeah. can just duplicate anything you find. Because yeah, then no, the reason for exploration is just gone. Like, mm-hmm. it it really does break the game in a way that's, like, it's a dopamine high in a way. Like, yeah, yeah it's good in that moment, but then you steal the actual enjoyment away from, like, playing the game. And sure, yeah. like, people can say, like, oh, like, who can tell me how to enjoy what I'm, like, playing? Sure. But, it's a, like... It's a one-player game, yeah. Like, at the end of the day, like, it's a very crafted, well-balanced experience that once you take away one of those balancing factors, it, it becomes mundane very quickly. Um, so yeah. I'm kind of glad that they are patching that. Um, yeah. If only I, because I mean, it just makes the game... Like, it allows you to play it the way it's intended once again, right? Yeah. I I used it, but I'm definitely glad that, like, I had already done basically the entire game mm-hmm. not knowing it. So, it, like, had little effect. I upgraded some armor with it. I, you know, got a bunch of diamonds for rupees because, like, rupees are freaking hard in, to find in that game. But that's about it. I sort of tried to limit myself mostly to things that wouldn't be game-breaking for the most part. So that was nice. Um, but, yeah, I... My sister's wedding was yesterday on Thursday, so like I it tried interrupted to... all the gameplay you could have been doing. Yeah, and I well, yeah, I mean, yeah, realistically, but it was like I got to the point where uh, I took off work from Wednesday on, uh, so Tuesday night is when I was like, okay, I know I'm not going to be playing for like three or four days. I'm going to finish the game. So I finished like the final story and everything. And it was awesome. Very, very kind of good uh, way of finishing it off. And the last boss fight was fun. And yeah, there was some good stuff in there. So, um, but yeah, like finished all the shrines, finished the, like all the light routes and stuff. So uh, didn't, you know, do a ton of uh, side quests and stuff. I kind of focused on just exploration shrines and stuff. So definitely a lot more to do, but overall, like, no no question in my mind it's going to be game of the year for people but also you know the outlets that that rank games and all that and you know the game awards and everything is probably gonna get game of the year and i guess to top it all off it just sucks that nintendo's the one that makes this because nintendo is a terrible company and i hate that i bought two copies of the game one in the collector's edition and it's i hate that i give them money uh for them not being a better company ever they've just continually gotten worse and they're litigious nintendo ninjas and all that so well it's it's like it's like uh training a pet right you can all you can only reward good behavior so you're re- rewarding the good behavior they made a good game you reward them right yeah i guess so that's, that's it's the, just the a multi-million dollar pet of. i don't know <laughs> yeah you're right though um uh, so. okay so I have, I have a few questions for you now that Okay. You're more yeah. or less complete um, with yeah. just the stragglers left behind. Uh, what is your favorite uh, fused weapon? Anything super long uh, is awesome. Like double like lancer spears is, is fun. Um, Dimitri came up with, uh, I don't know if you found this or on your own or just saw it online, but like the gloom spears or the gloom weapons. Oh, no, that, that was an original. I love oh, that. Was an original. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you use the Gloom Spear, you you break your hearts, like, as if you walked in Gloom. Dimitri found the idea of 
attaching a gloom spear and i would always forget to attach weapons to other weapons i'd attach like materials to weapons but if you attach like the gloom i never attach materials I'm, I'm like doubled up on weapons because i have oh. I'm, like no more inventory <laughs> space i'm like okay that's... this one's unfused dropping it and then like refusing the weapons and i'm like yeah that's a good point but they're all i weak. just would always there yeah it's a bad strategy don't do it <laughs> yeah, I would always have like, you know, like black bacabla and horns or whatever. Like the horns it were a really cool idea and a good way of uh, actually using materials, which I never really did in Breath of the Wild. So, uh, but yeah, like uh, attaching, using gloom weapons to some other weapon made it so that you got like, you know, plus 40 or whatever uh, damage, but you didn't get the gloom effect. So that was, that was super cool. But yeah, uh, mostly just like long long spears or whatever it was awesome so on the on the long spears do you attach something to your spear or do you attach a spear to something else so for instance if you have a spear on a sword it's a really wide swinging sword yeah no but if you have a sword on a spear then it's a very pointy spear yeah i think no spears i think are like my favorite weapon class and then swords then great swords because you're slow and you can't hit stuff with the great swords so Yeah, no. Spears are, I think, my favorite. When everything is attacking you at once. (laughs) Yeah, I would only use it on, like, bosses where you can, like, stop them for a second, then the spin to win is great. But other than that, you know, it doesn't... Yeah, so. Okay. Uh, Next question. What was your favorite area this time around? Like, region of the map. Mm, I don't know. It's hard to say. Okay, I think anywhere that there was like low gravity because there's a few places that you can that there's low gravity so like getting up to the zora temple is super or the the water temple is super fun um that broke the game for me like afterwards I, i'm like yeah. <laughs> i want the low yeah. gravity again i know <laughs> give you me feel like or super something. heavy yeah um all of the or in the sky the labyrinths all have that so that was fun although it made it kind of trivial um but yeah, super, yeah, the low gravity is just like, it was a fun mechanic. I think I got to the the water temple, it was my third uh, regional quest, third temple. So like, it was very fun to like, have something, a new mechanic to to that. So yeah, I'd say anywhere that there was low gravity. Cool, cool. Uh, what was your favorite side quest? Or side adventure, or whatever they call them nowadays. Mm. Like three different kinds. Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say because I don't think I've done a lot of them. Like I kind of laser focused on finding shrines and stuff. Um, something that was nice was the uh, finding the bubble gems for Colton because it sort of forced you to find a bunch of caves and caves are just like a fun new part where it's not a dungeon, but it's uh, some of them are super long, like the one under the... um the shelters so it's fun to find the bubble frogs but like also you just like get into this whole new area and it's like a different linear path well some branch and stuff but it's fun to kind of be dungeon crawling and and try to go through the whole thing in in one go so i'd say his quest just because it got me to explore more cool uh and then did you complete it yet uh, I got all of the armor, but then when he said, oh, hey, there's 101 left, I was like, oh, and whatever you you said about finding them, I didn't know about that at all. Yeah, so if you, if you look for the cherry trees, there's one per region, 
um, you can go ahead and offer fruit there, and a Satori will pop out and then like point in the direction of all the caves, and then you just get like columns of light oh. which show you where all the caves are. That's nice. Yeah, no, I there were a couple times where I had gone to him and I was like one or two gems off, and so you can ask him and he'll tell where you. is one. That's what I've been doing to to get all of the the whatever mystic armor, but that's I'll have to do that, and I maybe I'll do that because exploring caves is super fun. So I'll so it does that it it does the beams of light for like every region that you're in. You have to find the the mm-hmm. cherry tree. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then it basically points out all the caves you haven't got. How a did bubble. you figure that out? Did it say that somewhere? So I went to the cherry tree on top of Hateno. And the lady, the Gerudo lady that was, like, heartbroken, because that's where the Broken Heart Lake is. Um, oh, yeah. Because they have in their, like, uh, in their How to Find a Vogue class, they have, like, oh, go to this lake with the heart. Um, like, it's clearly on their on their thing, so she went to the wrong one. Uh, but she <laughs> was nice. talking about the legend of a Satori uh, from the cherry tree. Um, and there's like a pedestal to offer a fruit, just like the old Korok puzzles. Oh, um, okay. So, uh, on that note, what was your favorite new Korok puzzle variety? None of them. None I, of them. <laughs> Koroks are like my least favorite part of the game. And yeah, as soon I, yeah, haha. As soon as you like, you're in the tutorial place, and there's where you have to. There's like a Korok with a huge bag, so we can't move. I was like, "Oh crap! This is this again for real." And like you said, I think there's probably more Koroks than 900 in Breath of the Wild. So uh, I've largely ignored them. I think total, I found maybe like 90 Koroks. Oh, that's um, it. And yeah, like, and my I know that I have like a my inventory is just or I've I think I have something like 56 or so Koroks. He's just sitting there, and I haven't find Hetsu so. I just get the weapon stash until it's like 20 Korok seeds each uh, thing. And then I think I upgraded to be able to do like six shields and maybe eight bows or so. And I just mostly pour it into the weapon and that's it. So uh, I go kind of low, low inventory, I guess, on that stuff because I freaking hate Korok. I mean, I will do them if they're like right in my path, but I don't go out of my way to look for them, basically. Got it. Um, and then next, what was your favorite enemy? Either new or old. Um, I thought the bosses this time were all really good. I didn't particularly... Like, I thought the... Um, Colgera, I think, and the Rito one was, like, kind of meh. But, like, the... I the think that's your Gom- first boss. Yeah. Kind of uh, trip. I didn't know you could just stand on the ice and it would break. I was like shooting arrows. You like never, an idiot. like, you never jumped on the ice, like when you were walking around. I, I did, but I didn't realize you can stand on his ice. Like you can just oh, smash yeah. through it while skydiving. Like I saw yeah. that afterwards, and I was like, "Wait, what?" I didn't do that. I I've seen that, but yeah, no, I just shot bomb arrows, and I think that was it. But that was okay. I one thing. Okay, side note: the the bullet time seems like a lot more forgiving in how mm-hmm. much stamina it uses. That's while, super nice while you're shooting while you're an arrow, not. Yeah. Yeah, while well, you're not actually shooting. Um, yeah, the uh, the I can't remember what it's called. the The version of Goma was fun. Um, marbled Goma. Yeah, marbled Goma. 
uh i thought the the water temple boss was okay it got a little annoying in the second phase when it yeah but they were all unique which was cool and they're not just like um what i i already forgot what they were called in breath of the wild um they they didn't have the same look they were all unique looking so that was cool the the ganons that we shall not name yes the blights um yeah i i thought that was cool i just i think in general not having like three basic varieties of enemies was cool like they added the horriblins and um the gibdos yeah the gibdos the gibdos were yeah you're right they're terrifying when they actually start i didn't know that they crawled until the boss fight and then they suddenly started like crawling at me at full speed and that terrified me yeah i was like these aren't even scary you just throw fire fruit at them and it's done and then there's like 50 of them and all running and i was like not having a good time (laughs) yeah that was cool um like the boss bacoblins are cool yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know just i don't know if there's like one that is my favorite but i just enjoyed that there was way more variety um and like the the stuff in the um depths like the foxes are foxes are terrifying i yeah there's there's the top of one of those fern things which are like massive like the ones that go all the way up and then then like tilt so you can get to and the freaking frocks like saw me and just hopped all the way and just like slammed me out of that tree and then the the fall damage killed me um that's crazy with like 10 hearts <laughs> like no amount of hearts is enough hearts without like good armor yeah. in this game um yeah but yeah the the frocks like just just like walking in on one is unsettling <laughs> because they move yeah. so quickly uh and they destroy you so quickly um especially when you're like oh these little ones are not so bad uh they're easy to deal with and then there's a big giant one and you're like what on earth is this thing um there's like one chasm where you dive directly onto a frog and you know as soon as you're above it it opens its mouth no matter how you get above it oh i didn't know that yeah so like if you you know like attach a bomb or a spring to your shield as soon as you're in the air it like you know opens its mouth like it's it's trying to eat you like mama birding kind of um oh no so there's one chasm where you're just diving and i'm not generally paying attention at a dive so i, I hardly was, like watching see the, a youtube video the, the the bottom i love the sound though. yeah exactly Boom. yes ascend That's is so good oh yes that yeah as soon as you enter it's so good but yeah no and it just opened its mouth and immediately ate me and i was like what is this dude but so that was terrifying and it was a place where it was completely dark too so yeah good all around i mean like aside from like the the performance issues mm-hmm. uh that were also exhibited in breath of, breath of the wild like i have nothing but good things to say about it i don't really think there's anything that like could realistically be improved except finding a better way to give me more inventory because i hate koroks but that's 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 a me problem i acknowledge that fair um i'm still looking for the korok like hood or the yeah the helm I, that tells you I, where I, they are apparently it's in yeah. the game that's all i know um but i have found a lot of koroks so far um yeah i i especially like how the the match puzzles are all like 3d now um so yeah those are cool it's a lot more 3d manipulation um, and I especially like how this game is training everyone to be a 3D artist 
uh, in some way by learning <laughs> how to like to use CAD. Yeah, mo- rotate things in 3D spaces. You get very good at it after a very short period of time. Uh, excellent yeah. A plus. Uh, great game development. Great, great game for uh, developing kids. Uh, who need to like master that sort of thing if they want to yeah, get into like awareness. organic chemistry and dealing with like molecules and stuff like that. That becomes hard if you don't have like good spatial awareness. This game gives you spatial awareness whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it, yeah, it's funny how like I sent Dimitri a screenshot of me trying to build a bridge on like the very first um, shrine. It was so hard so for jank. me to match anything up. <laughs> it's so so jank. I was like, I can't, I can't even line this stuff up. And you learn to, you know, how many times you need to rotate something for it to actually be flat and stuff. So it's cool. It's, it's, they did that really well. Mm-hmm. Like being able to, you, you can do a lot and manipulate the three space in a pretty intuitive way once you get used to it. Mm-hmm. How many times were you turning with your controller the first few times? Like, trying to like oh yeah orient it perfectly when using the motion yeah. controls but then you're going with it because we're bad <laughs> at being humans um yeah so good anyways uh go check out this game if you haven't already uh, it ain't going anywhere uh but no. it is absolutely a joy uh whether you have 80 hours in a week to play it or you don't um like uh it's def- pretty digestible yeah like, you, can you can do it in, you... in much smaller portions no problem yeah. um so Definitely go check it out. So, so good. Yep. So good. Anyways, bye everyone. Bye.